Hello everyone, welcome to All, All Teens, Teens Everywhere. Everywhere. Today I am joining my best friend, Rachel, in debunking college myths since we're nearing the end of the application season in January. So we just want to get some information out, you know, if you're still applying to college, if you have some unanswered questions, Rachel's here to answer. Yeah, so as a little bit of introduction on my background, my dad is actually a professor of higher education at SMU here in Dallas. And so um, I'm actually using kind of some of his notes to <laughs> answer some questions here. <laughs> She's very well versed in the college admissions process. So take what she says with a grain of salt. But also, <laughs> Rachel's very smart. So I think... I mean, I've been coaching you through your college Okay. <laughs> she... Yes, yes and no, but I have learned a lot of very important things from Rachel, so hopefully you guys are able to take this to your college application process. So do you yeah. want to start us off with maybe a common college myth that you see? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people today, they see like these super elite colleges and they're like, nobody can get into college anymore. Like everybody's admittance rate is like 2%. It's entirely impossible. So first myth is it is impossible to get into college today. It's, it's not. It's it not. is not. That is not true. Across the United States, colleges accept an average of 68% of applicants. So there are those super competitive schools, the ones you think of, Harvard, Northwestern, even Bryce here in Texas, that are really difficult to get into and ask for top students. But there are also hundreds of colleges across the nation, four-year colleges, that accept tons of students. So it's totally possible, and it's even possible to get into those super elite schools. But even if that's not quite where you are as a student, there are so many other options for you. And what about like those stats that we see on maybe Instagram and TikTok, the 15, 1600 SATs, 4.0 GPAs, 30 extracurriculars, cured cancer. Like what? Though those are the types of students that we think are like getting into these schools, but is that true? So obviously those students are extremely accomplished and have had like done so much in high school and like that's great for them but not everybody's like that so each college is going to look and especially those like elite colleges are going to look at what we call holistic review and you're going to hear that at like tons of like college application sessions and everything so holistic review means that they're going to look at every part of your application somewhat equally so your essays your test scores if you choose to submit them at those test optional schools your gpa your rigor of schedule is one that's kind of lower down but matters a lot to some places and they're going to take all of that and piece it together extracurriculars they're going to take all of that piece it together and try to get a full view of you as a student. So that means that even if you don't have that 1600 SAT, but you're really involved at your school, and maybe you're a varsity athlete on student council, on the mock trial team, like we are. Like there's other ways for you to be really involved and also on test scores at those test optional schools, like it, they're starting to understand that is not the best measure of a student. So. Even though you see those stats online, mm -hmm. nobody can really be boiled down to their numbers in that way. Each student is very different and their application has to be looked at differently. So you mentioned two things that I kind of want to uh, explore more, but the first one that I noticed was the quote unquote test optional. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of like college counselors and, co well, not the colleges themselves, but a lot of college counselors try to say that it's not really test optional, like mm -hmm. they're just saying that, but at the end of the day, like they're 
it's not necessarily what it seems like you must submit your te your test scores you feel pressured to submit them even if it's test optional so is that true like is that uh, the reality that even though it's test optional they're really not so there's going to be two questions that i would recommend that you ask when you're going to a school and they say it's test optional first off is it test optional for merit scholarships because if merit scholarships and you're trying to get those they're not test optional then your test score matters and you need to submit it if the other question is going to be, what is the acceptance rate for students who submit test scores compared to the one for students who do not submit test scores? So if you see that that acceptance rate is way higher for students who submit test scores, that might be a clue that they're still looking at those test scores and those still matter to them. Now, some schools truly are test optional and really do not look at it either way. But it is good to ask those questions and start to get a gauge of, is this college really being truthful here or is there mm -hmm. kind of something else? And kind of like to build on that, like I'm applying to a school that is test blind. So can you kind of explain to the listeners what that is and what the difference? Which school are you talking about? Pitzer. <laughs> Actually, why don't you explain it? Because yeah, okay. with, with test blind, yeah. Take what I say with a grain of salt for real this time. Rachel has facts. I'm talking about my own experience. So Pitzer College is a liberal arts school in California and they are fully test blind. Once COVID happened, they're not test optional. So they won't take test scores? No, you do not submit your test scores. They, on the application, it's weird, like it lets you put in a test score, but when you're submitting the application, like that's not on there. Mm -hmm. So instead of going test optional, they just don't take the test score into consideration with your application. And if you don't wanna submit your test score, but are also kind of concerned about the myth that Rachel and I were discussing, maybe test blind schools are more down your alley because nobody's submitting a test score. You're not being compared against anybody. Maybe you're 1200 to a 1440. Like there's no comparison because there's no test scores being submitted. So I personally like that because it kind of like evens out the playing field in terms of that SAT and ACT don't even matter to them. But it's again, like Rachel was saying, the kind of route that you want to take with the merit scholarships, with the acceptance rates, with the average SAT score. Mm -hmm. Like, should you submit your score if it's under their average? So there's a lot of factors playing into this. Yeah, it does kind of vary by school and by person whether or not you want to submit test scores to those test optional places. Now, there are still places where it's required, so like it doesn't matter as much there. And also, if it's required or if it's test optional and you're choosing to submit a test score, make sure you learn early on whether or not they need an official school report. 100%. Because you have to send that directly from College Board or the ACT to make sure it gets to them, usually by your like actual mm -hmm. application deadline. So that's something you have to know in advance i made the mistake of sending it after the deadline because i was did not read and it was required so my test scores did not get there on time by the deadline but they were still considered but you know like rachel was saying better be safe than sorry if you can't afford to pay for that there are fee waivers so if you are a lower income student who is trying to send in their scores officially do not do not be scared like there will be fee waivers you do not have to pay for that whatsoever so that was certainly an experience doing it late and <laughs> it cost me a lot of money because if you want to send them with the rush there are two different ways that you can send them you can send them regularly or like a priority a priority is 10 plus dollars per school so instead of paying 25 you're paying 35 and multiply that by the number of schools that require it it adds up that's a lot of money yeah so if we want to go to myth number two is going to be that the best colleges are highly ranked by the u.s news ranking so 
everybody loves to talk about rankings. Every single yep. college you're going to go to is going to be talking about all these rankings, usually U.S. News. It's a big one people like to go to, and that's where we get this idea of elite schools kind of mm -hmm. to begin with is U.S., usually from U.S. News. So first off, U.S. News, My actually my dad's favorite thing is to say is that U.S. News 100% prioritizes privates. Basically, mm -hmm. everything that they use to calculate prioritizes things that privates care about. So there's that for starters. And then also they're highly subjective just based off of like the magazine editors and writers. Mm -hmm. And they're about selling magazines. They're not about helping you whatsoever. <laughs> they're 100% trying to get on college's good side and selling magazines. So just because your school is not like the number one most highly ranked thing ever does not mean that it's not a bad, like it's a bad school. No, 100%. U.S. News I'm starting to not trust it, specifically, <laughs> like, seeing what schools are ranked above other schools. It's making me question the legitimacy of it. So what do you recommend that students look at instead to determine if a school is a fit for them academically in terms of how good that program is? So this is now going to sound contradictory, but U.S. News is actually not a bad place to start. So don't, like, take what they have with a grain of salt and don't put too much priority on rankings. But actually what they have that's really helpful is that you can rank by top programs on there. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking at your school, you can look by major and kind of learn, like, what schools kind of have, like, a good program for my major. And then you can go and do your own research on that mm -hmm. and kind of learn more specifically about what you're looking for in a program and whether or not they have that. So it can be a really good starting place, but it, it should not be, like, your end-all, be-all. I need to go to, like, the number one mm -hmm. school, and if not, I'm going to, like, fail at my career. Like, it's not <laughs> that serious. It's never that it's serious. It's a starting place. So, kind of there. Okay, awesome. So, kind of, like, going back, I just remembered the other myth that I kind of wanted to discuss is if you want a higher GPA, you should take easier classes. And I know this has been debunked, but there are still people that want to have higher GPAs, and in terms of doing so, they do choose the easier non-AP, non-honors classes. And you mentioned rigor. Mm -hmm. So how does that kind of like tie in into that myth? I want a higher GPA, so I'm going to take easier classes. So the idea is that basically you want to have the highest GPA in the hardest classes you can. So if that means you're going to take an AP class and you're going to fail it, you should not be taking an AP class. If that means you're taking an AP class and you might get a B instead of an A, but if you took a regular class, you get an A, it sounds like you should be in an AP class. So this is gonna vary for each person. It's gonna vary on which classes are AP and honors, and it's gonna vary by what's at your school. So most colleges are 100% going to consider your rigorous schedule with what's offered at your school. If no APs are offered at your school, you have no opportunity to take them, therefore your rigorous schedule cannot include APs. So they do understand that if you're at a small school that does not have APs, IB, dual enrollment, whatever it is. And also usually colleges consider AP, IB, dual enrollment mm -hmm. all equal. So if you don't have APs, we have APs, so that's usually kind of what yeah. we refer to. Um, so there's kind of that, but if you want the high GPA, like nobody ever is like going to be like, you should just go fail hard classes. Yeah. That's not helpful for your learning. No, That's 100%, not helpful yeah. for getting into college. But if you can handle AP classes and that is something like that you can handle and do well in, don't take the easier classes just to get the higher grade. You have to kind of balance it. So while you were explaining, kind of like debunking the myth, you mentioned that schools will know whether your school offers AP, IB, the kind of like what classes you had at your disposal. So how do they how do they know that? 
So your school counselor is going to send in what's called a school report to all the colleges that you apply to. And it's going to basically explain, do you offer AP, IV, or dual enrollment? How many are offered to you? How many you can even like take a year? Some schools only let you take one a year. It will explain all of that. And then usually your counselor will give kind of a recommendation to the college of what they consider your rigorous schedule to be relative to the other people in your grade. Mm -hmm. So it is relative to what's at your school, not relative to what people like across the country, their rigorous schedule is. So that's something your counselor is going to determine. Each counselor kind of takes it differently. But you really shouldn't worry if you are truly challenging yourself in school. Mm -hmm. It will, like, the counselors know what they're doing. They will reflect. The school report will reflect that for you. Okay, awesome. So our next myth. Yeah, our next myth is that the Supreme Court outlawed the use of race in college admissions. Affirmative action, people. Affirmative action. So I'm sure all of most people who are applying to college right now who affirmative action would usually apply to saw over the summer that the Supreme Court kind of took down the use of affirmative action in colleges. And that's going to be private and public colleges across the United States. So what they really took it out of is it cannot be used in the actual decision process. So the colleges can still use race to recruit students to apply. They can still use it after a student is admitted. They just cannot use it in the process of actually determining whether or not a student is admitted. So what this does actually still mean is that you can write about how your race has ref like impacted you in essays, or you can put down that you're a member of Black Student Union or LULAC in your extracurriculars. And that can sometimes be a clue to colleges because colleges do still actually want to know this. Mm -hmm. They do still care about affirmative action even though they're not really allowed to officially. So you can definitely like leave clues still in your application, talk about your race in your application, and more how it impacted you way is usually how they want to see it. So that is still able to be used. Affirmative action being struck down, a lot of people definitely took that as, I cannot talk about my race whatsoever mm -hmm. in my application. That's like illegal or something. That's not true at all. You still have that opportunity. The college just can't ask you what is what your, your race, race and then use that to make a decision about whether or not you're admitted to the school. They cannot consider that as a factor. So have you or has your um, dad like made any... Um, like, has he predicted what would come out of, like, the first year that kind of, there's no longer any affirmative action? What would the statistics show in terms of, like, POC being able to go to college? Well, first off, affirmative action really only affects a very, very small number of people in this country because it really only matters at those really elite institutions, which not many people apply to. Mm -hmm. And it's only helping a small number or was in only impacting a small number of people who even apply to those places. So overall, there will be a shift at the places like Harvard, like Yale. Harvard was the one particularly impacted in the case, like originally. But those are the places where you're going to kind of see a difference. You're like normal schools, I guess, that most people are more applying to. So like your state publics and all mm -hmm. of that, there's going to be much less of an impact. Interesting. I didn't know that. So hopefully you guys learned something out of that. And something that kind of like came up to me was the myth that people should choose the more quote unquote elite institutions over institutions that maybe give them a higher scholarship. So what have you seen in terms of that? 
So elite institutions, when we say that, so that's going to be those really, really highly selective privates. Mm -hmm. And privates, especially highly selective ones, tend to give a lot of need-based scholarships. So need-based scholarships are going to be based off of your family's financial situation. Um, situation. Versus merit scholarships are going to be based off of maybe test scores, essays, your GPA. Um, basically anything that's not financial need could be included in what they're giving you for merit scholarships. Um, those highly selective private institutions are not going to give a ton of merit scholarships. Mm -hmm. We call them kind of like a buyer versus a seller. The, they're going to be more selling. Like they don't need to buy you coming to their school. Mm -hmm. So they can therefore afford to reserve their scholarships mm -hmm. to people who have the financial need to come there. So if you are looking for those larger scholarships that are going to be merit scholarships, you're not going to find them as much at those highly selective private institutions. Now, if you can pay for them and you can get in, then yeah, you're no, fine. Yeah, no, 100%. You can pay for them because of financial need-based scholarships. Like, that's a different situation. Personally, where I am, Ed, and I'm looking for a lot of merit scholarships, so some of those highly selective privates just aren't working for me in terms mm -hmm. of the scholarship money. So I'm looking at a lot of public schools because they tend to have more merit scholarships. So it's just kind of looking at that more than anything. And at the end of the day, it's about what you and your family can pay for. Exactly. And that's always going to be more important mm -hmm. than the college. You want to go to the best college that you can that you can pay for. Exactly. Affordability. So that's really the scale. Because is it? it's not better to go to Harvard and end up with half a million dollars in debt versus going to what might technically be a lower school and actually have it paid for and be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. Like in the long run, at the end of the day, it, it even if it's the same degree, mm -hmm. like you would rather end up with less debt. I feel like that's a general consensus. You want to graduate college without having $200,000 in your back pocket having to pay, yeah. especially when you do graduate school. Yes, especially considering graduate school. Like Graduate school's expense. Something to keep in mind. And then, I mean, I did not apply to any Ivy League schools. The reason being that I'm looking to major in sport analytics and not a single Ivy League school offers sport analytics. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason for me to apply there. Exactly. That is true for millions of people. There is not, like, their major is not even offered at an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. So, like, at the end of the day, you have to look at it from the perspective of your major and where you can do best in your program, not which school is best. Lovely. So that brings us to our last myth. It's better to go to an elite school than a school that maybe is lower ranked. And we already talked about how rankings can be easily debunked. But a school that maybe is not as high in the rankings but does have your major or an elite school that maybe doesn't necessarily have what you want to study but is more prestigious. You think you're going to get more job offers. People are going to maybe just um, if I'm looking at a Harvard degree I'm definitely gonna my eyes are gonna <laughs> widen and being like oh you went to Harvard but at the end of the day should students look at the school or should they look at the major so you have to balance it your first priority should be the major don't ever give up your major for a school that's like a pretty key that's, way of looking at it mm -hmm. we've heard that from our college counselor <laughs> line. Um, so you have to start there you have to look at what's good for your major and then see if that outside of the major environment is going to work for you at the school. If it's a party school and that's just not what you're looking for, 
even if your major is really good there, maybe that's not the best place for you. Mm -hmm. But it's just kind of balancing that. It's honestly all of it's about balance. Exactly. Just like overall. But you want to start at looking at where's your major going to be really good, where you can have the resources within the program. Because mm -hmm. inside of your industry, there might be a Harvard of your industry. Exactly. With mine, it's going to be Syracuse. <laughs> that if you come from Syracuse and you did sport analytics at Syracuse, that is a huge deal in the industry. Yeah, in the sports analytics industry. Like coming from Harvard, it's like, okay, like you, you went to Harvard. That's amazing. Like that's very great for you. Mm -hmm. But because they don't have a sport analytics program, that's not going to be as like has as much weight in the industry as Syracuse does. So it's kind of balancing that because even though as like a person now, you might look at it as Harvard, Yale, like your eyes widen. When you're in the industry, the people they're hiring know which schools have good programs. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, we could not have ended that on a better <laughs> note. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming in and providing this invaluable insight. I know a lot of people maybe go to bigger schools and don't have access to a college counselor 24-7. So here's Rachel. <laughs> she can provide you what she knows. And like I said at the beginning, take all of this information with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. We are not professionals. Don't yeah. quote us as we are. That'll... Just take it as like general guidelines. Yes. You can do with it what you wish. Exactly. Hopefully that kind of like guides you in the college admissions process. Thank you so yeah. much for tuning in. We hope we ate. <laughs>